gay people love puns. I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast. Oh, this book causes Satanism. What is left for us to rant about? There is nothing straight about plum velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about <laughs> Harry Potter. Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a humorous yet ruthless podcast where two queer IRL witches reread Harry Potter and talk about it. I am America's favorite Griffin dandy, Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Griffin Dyke Shortenaire, Jesse Blount. And uh, actually, before we get into the chapter summary and the rest of the episode we have a couple of people to thank uh these are folks who donated last month in october for our uh donation drive and so thank you so much robin emerald bobby connor and liz owlin and liz you guys are great i hope you like your card yeah seriously thank you to everyone who donated to us it was so wonderful we really appreciate it uh, I also want to thank Anonymous 12-year-old for your review. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And now we are talking about chapter 14 of Goblet of Fire, The Unforgivable Curses, in which the gang finally sees Fake Moody in action as a teacher. And despite the deeply sus lesson on the unforgivable curses using a live demonstration... It's actually informative, hands-on, and in Harry's case, life-saving. Uh, refresher course class, the three unforgivable curses are the Imperius course, mind control, the Cruciatus curse, the torture, physical torture curse, and of course, Avada Kedavra, the unblockable death curse. Of course, in a class full of kids born during an active war, this is in fact tricking as hell for a lot of kids, like our favorites, Neville and Harry. Later that night, the boys find out what exactly Hermione has been up to in the library the past few days. Making political buttons! Also, creating the Society for the Promotion of Elfish Welfare, aka the worst abbreviation, SPEW. Mm -hmm. The boys are negative enthusiastic about this. Thankfully, Hedrick shows up (laughs) to interrupt this very awkward moment with a letter from everyone's favorite dog father, Sirius Black. Uh, Sirius knows a little bit about constant vigilance and is in fact coming back from his southern vacation to keep an eye on Harry and, of course, the growing fascist movement of the Death Eaters. Harry is scared for Sirius and pissed off at himself, even though it's not his fault. And to be honest, it was bound to happen eventually, Harry. Sorry. Yes, indeed. And we're going to start this newspaper off with today's headlines. Despite mounting evidence, Hogwarts officials deny accusations of raising a child army. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so good. And with that, we turn to the front page where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. I just... uh, Just that, like... Remus sending a letter to Moody or I'm sure whoever was going to get the job after him is just like, it's like I have hard eyes, but also they're crying. It's like crying hard eyes emoji (laughs) (laughs) is how I feel about the entire thing. What a cute guy. He is so good. I know. It's ridiculous that Mm -hmm. he didn't just fucking stay and keep his job. I know. Um, Speaking of the Defense Against the Dark Arts job. Harry says that Snape has failed four years in a row to get that job as if time began when (laughs) Harry arrived at Hogwarts. (laughs) It's like, because we know that this job has been cursed since Dumbledore didn't give it to Voldemort. Like they've had a new teacher every year. Yeah. And Harry honestly believes that this problem began the year that he arrived at the school, which is like... I mean, whatever. He's 14. Of course, he thinks that time began with him. Yeah. No offense, 14-year-olds. I know not all 14-year-olds, but many 14-year-olds. Yeah. It's just like a very like, oh, Harry. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. I feel like besides our love of Hermione, me and Ron only agree on one other thing, which is an intense dislike of spiders. So 
I too want to know why spiders, fake Moody. Why did you have to do this with spiders? Why are there giant spiders? Why are there now just dead spiders? Just like, no, I don't want to see. I mean, I don't want to see spiders being tortured or killed. But I don't want to see them just hanging out either. I don't want to see them. <laughs> what? <laughs> Whose idea was this? I don't think I knew that you didn't like spiders. I do not like spiders. I can look at photos of spiders if they're not too gross. And like if they're like tiny or if they're just somewhere in the world where I can't see them. But I don't I don't really like spiders. I don't like <laughs> them being near me. I like spiders. Anyway, you are correct that it is extremely rude that he chose spiders. So many people are afraid of spiders. This is I mean, I you said something, I think, in the last episode about like he's just good at cruelty. And I think that this is a place that that's showing up. Like, I think Barty crouch jr thinks this is funny probably yeah and i mean granted i'm like i i can't really imagine another insect that i would want to see treated like this because i'm like insects are beneficial like they're most happy they don't fucking want to deal with people unless they're a bed bug which is i mean let them burn in hell but (laughs) it could have been like a like a house fly like no one is like oh man there's none of house flies you know yeah so, but yeah, spiders, I'm just like, you just had to be that asshole. <laughs> yep. A horsefly. I feel like people have enough animosity towards horseflies that they wouldn't feel super bad about watching a horsefly get tortured. Right. Or if you like, or because like, I mean, right. It hurts so much to get bit by a horsefly. I bet they don't have those in the UK. Probably at least not in North Scotland, but I mean, a biting fly is fucking the worst. So. Yeah. Um. Okay. So... Moody talks about the imperious curse and he's like the ministry had a really hard time sorting out who was being forced to act versus who was doing it of their own free will. And I wanted to bring up here a theory that someone sent us that Barty Crouch Jr. was actually innocent at the time that he was convicted. Interesting. Either that he was imperious to participate in the thing or that he like honestly was like wrong place wrong time and didn't have anything to do with it uh and that that's like why he's so evil now is basically like his dad sentencing him basically to life in prison death in prison like pushed him to actually become a Voldemort supporter interesting right I think it's a much more interesting read if we read it that way yeah it's kind of like how some people wouldn't become violently radicalized unless like they're being harmed by the system and then they're like all of a sudden like you know what actually fuck all of you mm-hmm. and i'm not saying obviously that means that you should become a death eater <laughs> like that's not what i'm saying but it is i think it is actually a very good read on the situation which i guess maybe would also explain the kind of like overarching question with fake moody which is you're like evil piece of shit but you're so good at teaching these kids. Mm-hmm. Like, you're so good at being a teacher or faking being a teacher. Like, where does where does that come from? I mean, usually you can tell a, a hateful, spiteful, like, teacher. Like, Snape. You can, like, in right. real life, you can spot a Snape immediately, even if they're not that outwardly, verbally cruel to the students. You can just tell. Right. You know? But, I mean, part of it is, like, he's obviously pretending to i mean he's a full dumbledore you know that's a kind of a tall order but from what we get from here he's still just doing like a good job yeah i agree i think we should we should proceed with like considering this reading as we interact with him okay because i feel that answers more questions about right about just like obviously he's pretending to be moody but there's probably still a lot of barty crouch in this in this performance you know Right. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I like this. Me too. Um, this relates to our conversation we were having before we were recording, which if there is, if there was like calculations involved, I too would just make my divinations homework because that sounds hard as fuck. <laughs> yeah. I had that in education. Like, of course they're making no progress on their star charts. No one has ever taught them math. Like, How do you do a calculation if you can't do math? Like Harry learned math previous to coming to Hogwarts, but he hasn't taken a math class in four years now. Ron never learned math 
because he has never gone to a school except for Hogwarts. Trelawney's not teaching them the math that you need to to calculate shit. I mean, maybe that's what they're learning in astronomy. I don't think I don't so. Know. Cause they're like outside. It's not like they're like on the roof, like learning how to how to do calculations. I mean, maybe some of the kids who are some of the like witch born kids who aren't like half muggle or like muggle born. Maybe some of them get like fancy tutors, but Ron just had Molly and Arthur teaching him math. Maybe. And 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 like and I'm not trying to say, but I'm just like, I'm sure Ron Pye knows like practical math applications, but maybe not like the sort of advanced calculations you need for fucking shit in the sky during a given time, you know? Yeah. Actually, when I was, I didn't succeed in writing an ad for today, but when I was trying to write an ad for today, it was going to be for a tutor, a math tutor. Yeah, I I just feel like, I mean, I, I guess I don't know what math you need to, like, calculate the positions of the planets, but geometry, that's my guess. Trigonometry. One or the other of those, right? You're triangulating things. Yeah, yeah. So things with, like, degrees. Yeah, fuck, I don't even know. Those are the ones that I can't do. I'm great at algebra and calculus, but I have like serious like spatial awareness issues that make it so that I look at a fucking shape and trying to figure out how to do it. And I'm like, nope. Because that's what you would that's what you would need to be doing also with this is like you're also accounting for the way that the Earth rotates Mm -hmm. both, you know, around the sun and just sort of and just like, you know, the rotation that causes like day and night. Right. So. And, like, that sounds complicated as fuck. Right. I mean, when, like, you know, Mercury's squaring Neptune, like, that's, what does that mean? Like, the squaring, that's math. That's math that you're doing. Yeah. So. You, You know, actually, shit, now that I think about it, though, if you had, like, a really fancy, what are those things where it's, like, if you had, like, a mechanical thing where, like, you turned a lever and, like, the Earth moved and the planets moved, you'd be... That expensive thing that Harry stopped himself from buying in the last book. This seems like a thing that should be available. This should be in a room somewhere. Like a giant one. There probably is one in a giant room. But like, are they like not allowed to use it? And just like, what? (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. They should just have something like that. Like, even if they were learning the math to be able to do it, it's kind of like, I don't know, making people do longhand addition. Okay, so I don't know if you caught this, but we had a shrill alert. Oh, I didn't. When Hermione, it's like when she notices, that's like, that's when Harry notices Neville is because Hermione said something, but she says it shrilly, which I'm like, what the fuck? Yep, stop it. Hermione said shrilly. (sighs) Yep, of course she did. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. Yeah. Cool. I have two more things. Uh, one is about exposition, because there's, like, kind of a lot of it in this chapter. With Harry sort of giving us the rundown about, like, his parents' deaths and, like, how he learned it from the Dementors. And it's just, like, really clunky and really bad and could have been... I think it's fine that it's included, like... A reminder about it. I think it's good for us to be like refreshed about how painful this is for Harry. It just could have been so much better. I'm not going to like read all of it because it's really long, but Harry, it starts with Harry had been picturing his parents' deaths over and over again for three years now, ever since he'd found out that they'd been murdered, ever since he'd found out what happened that night, colon. And then it like goes into all of this stuff. And I think it's because it's like, how Voldemort had killed Harry's father first, whatever, whatever. And then at the end, it's like he knew these details because of he'd heard it when he fought the Dementors. That's what the Dementors did. And like, what if we started this with ever since the Dementors had like made him bear witness to it. And then he like described what he saw during the Dementors and then it would have flowed so nicely. Yeah. So whatever, this is just a bad writing alert and it bummed me out. <laughs> no, I think I think you're right. Because I feel like having that section about him reflecting on his parents' death is, I think it's important because we see him sort of suppress that a lot, mm-hmm. you know? And like, this is obviously not not a great reminder. But yeah, but I think the whole passage, you're right, is pretty clunky. Yeah. 
again, I want I want there to have been a more aggressive editor who was like, hey, like take this, reverse the order, you know, play with this a little bit. It could it could be much more poetic. Yeah, I think past this book it gets real bad. I know. <laughs> I think I think there might be a I think there was a really long wait between book four and book five, and then between book five and six and seven there was like a wait but not as much of a wait but i'm kind of like reading them you're like oh this should have you guys should have sat on this a little (laughs) bit longer let it sit come back to it do some more edits yeah definitely uh you know anyway all right so here's my last here's my last thing here's the passage i'm gonna read it to you oh dear harry laid down his quill having just predicted his own death by decapitation What's in the box? He asked. <laughs> it is probably not a reference. I think to it is. Seven? Really? I think it, I think it has to be. It's so oh, no. so perfect. <laughs> I feel like it had. Like I hate to give Scoundrel to Hair credit for anything, but this feels like it must be intentional. Like it just made her laugh in the moment. She was like, "I'm leaving this in." Or some editor was like, you know what would be funny to have here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. It just, I think it has to be. And listeners, we are kind of spoiling a movie that has been from out From 1995. 19... <laughs> it's fine. Is it from 95? I thought it was from 99. It's from, I looked it up to make sure that this was written after the movie came out. So yes, it came out in 95. Wow. Anyway, yes, what the reference is to is that someone receives his wife's head in a box, I believe. Yep. But pre-opening it is just screaming what's in the box but like yeah he kind of knows what's in the box yep so that just made me laugh uh and now welcome to the education section where we talk about this goddamn school do we ever see a defense against a dark arch teacher besides lupin trying to learn the kids names like, Lupin, we know, like, clearly our new one's names before term started or whatever. But we see Moody with, like, a roll call list. Mm-hmm. And he's double checking it against the people that he's looking at. Mm-hmm. And I feel that's, like, 101, being a good person when acting with children is, is, like, in people. But especially children is knowing their fucking name. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I think Lockhart learned the names of the students that complimented him the most. Yeah. It seems unlikely that Quirrell knew anyone's names. I feel like, what's her face? I think Umbridge memorized every child in the school's name immediately. But like, not to be a good teacher, just so that she knew who to yell at. Yeah. And I feel like it's really up in the air about if Snape knows the first years <laughs> of book seven, book six, like names. No. I guess he had kind of a lot going on, so probably. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think Snape bothers to learn names aside from the students that he, I'm sure the ones in his house and then the ones that he wants to like bully, probably. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about the fact that Dumbledore has approved teaching unforgivable curses to 14 year olds? Okay, so I do want to talk about this because I've always assumed that Fake Moody didn't ask, but Dumbledore's like, yeah, sure, okay. Because it's already happened, I think, probably mm. by whatever class, you know, Fred and George had, if it's like the second, the first or second day, whatever year, there were years have had that. Mm-hmm. And so maybe he's like, okay, for the older kids, whatever. And then so by the time he gets to the fourth years, like, I don't, I don't think Dumbledore knew beforehand. I propose that this is what he hired Moody to teach. That fake Moody is is following real Moody's lesson plan. That Dumbledore was like, there was a new prophecy, Wormtail escaped, Voldemort's going to come back. I got to bring on Moody to like scare these kids into fighting Voldemort because I predict that the adults of this society are going to like really fail when push comes to shove. Yeah. Interesting. I guess I just really can't imagine anyone giving lessons plans to Dumbledore (laughs) like to approve. No, I think Dumbledore asked Moody to come do this. Like, Mm. I want you to show the kids like what it's like to be in Aurora. I want you to make them afraid of Voldemort's return. That's fucked up. Yeah, it is. (laughs) 
I, I feel like, honestly, I feel kind of, I have a lot of mixed feelings about this because this is information that, I don't know, maybe these kids should have gotten earlier just because if nothing else, again, a lot of these kids were born during war. Like I'm sure Harry's like the only war orphan in this school. Like I'm sure Neville's the only kid who's like essentially an orphan. Yeah. You know, because of the Cruciatus curse. Like I don't think that means they need to see it. I no, I don't think they need to see it. That is I think that's out of line. I think you could have talked about it. You could have I think I think sixth year seems like a good age, personally, to wait for that information. I don't know. I guess I don't I don't like the lie demonstration because I think that was fucked up, especially basically springing on these. Kids. That is exactly what trigger warnings are for. Can yes. I just say, like, people yeah. who get like sassy about fucking trigger warnings in college classrooms, it's like this is what trigger warnings are are for so you can decide if you can go to class that day or not but also so you can be fucking braced for impact that's why we keep all our triggering shit in the politics section it acts as its own trigger warning like come on don't yeah don't do this yeah and i feel there's a way of learning about this that isn't as triggering as watching it happen in front of your eyes totally and being like oh this is what happened to my loved ones like making that connect like it's kind of like and for Neville, I think it's so much worse for Neville than for Harry. Because oh, like, yeah, for sure. Avada Kedavra, like, Moody says, like, it's not pretty, it's not pleasant, something like that. But I'm like, I don't know, kind of seems like it's done real fast, you know? It, it's, it's done real fast, and there isn't a lot of blood or, like, viscera. Like, there's a lot of really terrible, ugly ways to die. Yeah. You know? And depending on how, your what your tolerance is or... If you are also a child of Internet 2.0 and has and has like been sprung upon really disgusting things in the internet, which happens unfortunately to us all, I feel like mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of ugliness that I feel like is different. Seeing it as like a video or a visual or a photo that's different than like if you're reading about it, mm-hmm. you know, like why I can listen to spooky podcasts but I can't watch scary movies. Yeah, yeah, for real. So anyway, yes. I think it's your turn. All right. Uh, the second thing I really appreciate about Moody in this chapter is he's like, y'all are good about dark creatures. You're really behind on your, on your curses and counter curses. And I'm like, yes, thank you. Someone who's like, let me think about your comprehensive education to and like compensate my lesson plan accordingly. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, as far as we can tell, up until this point, Harry's only learned two practical things from Defense Against the Dark Arts, which is Expelliarmus, which he learned in Dueling Club unintentionally. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, the Patronus Charm. Which he didn't even learn in class. He learned yes. Ridiculous. That's useful. That is that is useful. And a bunch of stuff about, like, Grindylows and yeah, other things. That which Grindylow we do see lesson up... is going to come in handy yeah. pretty soon. Yeah. And so I'm just, I'm just like... Yes, finally someone who's approaching this as a like, all right, you guys really should learn about curses and counter curses up to now, but we're going to remedy that right now. And I'm like, thank God. Yep, <laughs> I agree. Okay, so you mentioned earlier about like fake Moody being a really good teacher and we get such a good example of that here when he, like even though he has an ulterior motive for taking care of Neville, which is to plant that book in the dorm room that Harry's going to need. He does such a good job of taking care of Neville and his like trauma of like recognizing this is really triggering for you. I'm going to like help you. I'm going to give you tea and talk about something that you're like good at and interested in. And, you know, Harry notes that it's something that professor Lupin would have done. And then I started crying cause I'm a mess right now. And it, I'm just, I was really glad that Neville had this and that like, there's a teacher finally on this campus that would do something like this because i don't think any of the others would yeah the layers of this is actually kind of a mind fuck but yeah like i think this is one of the few times we see an adult being gentle and kind to neville yeah because we assume that sprout is but that's all happening off screen because harry doesn't care about plants for whatever fucking reason right (laughs) um but this is like the only tangible time we're getting this like oh yeah i'm feeling better like 
Professor Moody gave me this book about water plants, and it's like sprout to them and go to herbology. And I'm like, my baby. I'm just having a like brain explosion moment right now too. If we are imagining that Barty Crouch Jr. actually either didn't have anything to do with Neville's parents being tortured or didn't willingly have anything to do with it, him taking care of Neville in this moment could actually be like legitimate empathy in addition to like I need to plant this book but like what if he's like my trauma also started with your trauma like I might be evil now but I'm evil because of like the same reason that you're currently super fucking triggered and upset and maybe even kind of a way to like without being blatant about it sort of apologize to Neville it's like sorry sorry that I was a witness slash victim also of the torturing of your parents like this ruined both of our lives, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Holy shit. Interesting. I think this is a much e- a more interesting read than just assuming that Barty Crouch Jr. is just acts crazy. Yeah. Welcome to the politics section where we talk about things that are fucked up. Moody says that using unforgivable curses on... Your fellow human beings means you go straight to Azkaban. So does that mean it's not forgivable? It's like fine if you use this on like animals or let's say non-human beings. Like if you're using Cruciatus on your house elf, does it like, does it like not matter? Because I feel like that means yes. I feel like the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Oh, I hate that so much. Oh man, that sucks. Uh, I mean, we I mean, we see it with these spiders because I'm just like, what? How come what you're doing isn't illegal right now? And it's like, oh, it's just spider. You know what? The other thing that I uh, thought about and always think mm. about when I read that line is like we see Kingsley Shacklebolt cast the Imperius curse on Marietta Edgecombe and Harry cast the Imperius curse on what's his face in the bank in book seven. Travers. Mm hmm. And it's what? Okay, because they're the good guys. Kingsley yeah. casts it on a child. She's like 15 years old. In front of the headmaster. She's like, listen, you got to do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think we've already established that the quote unquote justice system in this world is just as fucked up as ours. Yep. All right. So I guess I guess we're moving on to Spew then. All right. Finally. Let's talk about Spew. Hermione's heart is in the right place. That's 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 what I want to start off with. Her her heart's in the right place, and even even the strategies she is listing here about how to get people involved in her cause, pretty similar to what a lot of leftist political jokes and political sorry political <laughs> uh, political organizations like leftist political organizations do. Mm-hmm. The downside to that is like a lot of political organizations. Hermione is starting spew from a place of what she thinks is, you know, best for the elves. And I don't know. It's sort of like, it's it's like a little bit misguided, but I think the way that Harry and Ron are perceiving the misguided bits is not the correct way in which she's misguided, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, totally. I want to say... Like, before we dig super into that, just how much I appreciate the long-term aims, specifically. Because it just shows, like, how much Hermione is, like, how much thought she's put into this. Because she's absolutely right that changing the law about wand use, though not just for elves, also for, like, goblins and centaurs and, like, anyone else who wants to use a fucking wand. And, And getting representation in the ministry for the quote-unquote creatures who are being controlled and regulated by the ministry like yeah yes these are the reforms that need to happen so badly so badly yeah separate like even if this was a completely different crusade that she was on like separate from the house elf liberation changing these structural issues i'm like i want this very badly yeah and i think that that's also sort of Okay, listen, y'all. I worked. I, I worked at nonprofits on and off for several years now. Uh, I've been a part of nonprofits. It's just that sometimes, like, there's there's a way to go about improving people's lived, like, people's everyday lives 
now and that is like different from being like we should really be focusing on changing the laws and the structures of what are causing these acute problems mm-hmm. and i think part of where a lot of nonprofits go astray is that they don't focus on the sort of structural stuff right uh, i'm going to use animal rescue for an example uh you know what rescuing cats and dogs off of the street is great like fostering animals is really great it's not ever going to stop animals from being abandoned or mistreated until we look at the structural issues that affect why people would do that and address them so mm. things like uh affordable housing that allows pets and universal basic income are two things that i'm like that would honestly really lower the amount of abandoned and mistreated animals mm-hmm. like let's be let's be real but it's not as sexy or interesting as being like look at this basket of kittens and like Full disclosure, I am fostering kittens. I am laying in a pile of kittens. <laughs> like, I am aware that, like, the fulfillingness of, like, having foster animals is, like, immediate and just, like, straight serotonin shot into your brain. But I'm also aware that, like, it's it's a Band-Aid on a just, like, waterfall of problems that it's, like, really, we sh- if animal rights people should be focusing on these, like, structural inequalities that cause people to like give up beloved animals right or to use animals in a way to create money to live in ways that mistreat them or harmful to them and yeah overturning breed restrictions like also a huge thing right and which is based in fucking racism (laughs) like breed restrictions are fucking racist yep um and even just like the the kind of breed restrictions and hate against Pitbulls is part of a long history of several different breeds of dogs being labeled as like dangerous or bad or only those people have them. And I mean, it's been a variety of breeds of dogs over like we're just like, really? Poodles? But yeah, like there's a period in time where poodles are like these dogs are too dangerous for like people to be having all these like all these poodles. So yeah. Yeah. So Hermione and house elves. Hermione is falling into a trap that a lot of people fall into. Um, is she yet? Because I feel like right now her goals are all structural. She wants to end the like practice of enslavement of house elves. So they're about to go wrong when she starts trying to free elves against their will. Yeah. But right now, I think she is doing a good job. She is really focused on, like, how can we make structural changes? Mm-hmm. Am I misreading it? No, sorry. You're, no, you're right. You're right. So I guess it's just kind of just like, Hermione, what do the house elves want <laughs> to improve their lives? But yes. I mean, that's the, I mean, I think that's such a huge thing. Like, it is a huge issue that she hasn't spoken to a fucking house elf besides Winky. Uh, Like, she doesn't even talk to Dobby. She's just heard about Dobby. But also, if we assume, I think safely, that part of this enslavement involves some sort of enchantment, Mm -hmm. she would go talk to the elves in the Hogwarts kitchens and they would and they would tell her exactly what fucking Ron says, which is they like it. Yeah. And I don't think that it's right that that should lead to her not wanting to make this change i feel like she should hear that and be like i need to like dig deep into the history of this and figure out why this is how they feel yeah um at which point i assume she would uncover you know an enchantment a you know slayer origin story where someone did something super fucked up and created this system i don't remember if it's in because she mentioned doing some research and not finding a lot about house elves in the library correct Uh uh-huh yeah so, which is like, so that says to me either the history is really fucked up and everyone's just like, we're not going to talk about it. Or, I mean, I guess it's really just it. This is like the history has been written by by witches who are like, yeah, this is the, the house of love being enslaved. What are you talking about? We right. found them living primitively and we gave them and we brought them into our modern homes. I don't know. Like, right. whatever terrible uh, justification is. Right. So, I guess I just like I feel like Hermione does have the right the right ideas and like I mean definitely like a lot of structural things. 
I don't know. I guess I just feel like it's hard to try to, like, how do you break through people who don't have empathy for house elves? <laughs> or, I mean, I guess you could say just empathy for people besides themselves and maybe, like, their close, you know, community. Which I feel like is maybe just a giant question about the world <laughs> in 2021. It's just like, how do I convince you to have empathy <laughs> for, like, people and beings that, that are not you? Yeah. So. Yeah. It's a hard, it's a hard struggle, Hermione. <laughs> and I feel, like, I feel like a lot of the wrong turn she makes in later chapters is just like born out of that frustration, where it's like something is wrong, and no one fucking cares. You right? Know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I feel like she really, she's she's starting pretty strong here, and she very rapidly like veers into Peta territory. Yeah, which is like we're just gonna like do this at any cost without any thought for the consequences or like how we would how we would remedy this you know yeah but i feel i felt that kind of makes sense to me given that hermione is 14 because i feel like as a bit of a vegetarian i was like yeah pita has some good ideas and now i'm just like no pita's the fucking worst they are but, the worst <laughs> um if you are a young vegetarian uh, Pete is the fucking worst. Sorry, don't. Their uh, shelters euthanize like eighty percent of the animals that they take in. They are terrible, and they do have very angry material you can get for free. I understand that it is pretty great, but in general, their practices are deeply racist and deeply fucked up. They like, have like kidnapped dogs from loving owners. Like Peta is so bad. Oh my god. Oh, yeah. No, but like, you're right. Like, I also totally feel it when I was when I was like, in middle school, my dad used to joke that he assumed that when I was a young adult, he would be like bailing me out for like participating in Greenpeace or PETA demonstrations. (laughs) He's like, this is not in a mean way in a, you know, yeah, you're super intense about this whole animal rights thing. I imagine that you're gonna get real caught up in it and i am on a government watch list for having volunteered with greenpeace for a long time so whatever i mean rite of passage is on the <laughs> government watch list yeah i used to hang with a lot of uh radicals and cross punks so i'm definitely sure i'm on an fbi list somewhere um but having said that i still feel like i don't know if i was single i would definitely consider chaining myself to some trees and being like fuck your deforestation <laughs> And I think those those actions actually can be really useful, too, yeah. because a lot of times just drawing people's attention to things is really useful. And sometimes being incredibly inconvenient for a long enough period of time is all that you need to do. <laughs> so, yeah, this is true. Um, wow. We've talked about this forever. Uh, I have a couple things like education related things that I want to talk about if you are done with house elf stuff. Oh, I just have just. I think this is maybe more about the writing, but like there's nothing good about the line they like being enslaved. That's all. Like as like just I mean, this is I think that again, like I mentioned in an earlier episode, I think Hermione could have had a better magical cause that wouldn't be so fraught and ridiculous, but when it's like magical slavery and then so you have lines from main characters that we're supposed to like where it's like they like being enslaved, it's just such a terrible look. This is a terrible, terrible look. And just like, I just, and I just want everyone to imagine like a very, very white Ron saying this to a very black Hermione and just being like, are you, like, are you fucking kidding me? I know. I know. It's really bad. It's, it's really, really bad. The way that he says it, it's really bad. It's a really bad look. It's a really bad look. And you're so right because I think you know us talking so much just now about like animal rights and veganism and stuff like i just think that like like a world where we just didn't have house elves and then hermione getting upset about like magical like the 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 potions ingredients maybe or like the way that sentient plants are treated or you know something like that and you know being like i did all this research and it turns out that these like plant-based alternatives are just as effective in potions and we're like you know harvesting armadillo bile when we don't need to be like great great you know yeah it's like global warming we don't have a a barrel full of toads to be disemboweling like right 
Amphibians are literally like becoming endangered species and dying off en masse. Like, where are you sourcing this barrel full of toads? <laughs> Did you just make those toads fucking extinct? So, yeah. yeah that that would have been great. Yeah, I think uh, the scoundrel clearly did not have a teenage vegetarian phase to have pulled from. So decided to pull from slavery instead, which is not a thing. A choice with a capital C. Not a choice you should take lightly. No. That's all I gotta say. And especially not, and especially to make Dobby like the weirdo, you know? Yeah. Anyway, okay. So actually, speaking of disemboweling toads... Snape giving Neville, the parent of a toad, the detention task of disemboweling toads is so far beyond fucked up. Like, what? I would have gotten expelled. I would have been like, fuck you. I'm gonna spit in your fucking face. If someone was like... If they was like, hey, for your detention, you're going to be disemboweling kittens, like this barrel of kittens. I'd be like, I'm expelled because I'm not fucking doing this shit. Yeah. Number one. And number two, by hand, oh, fuck you. You have a wand. You do this to your fucking self. Yeah. No. It's like, no wonder. No wonder Neville was having, about to have an emotional breakdown. Like, are you shitting me? I know. I'm so upset. I'm so upset. I feel like it's like the feeling that I feel whenever I hear about someone bullying a queer teen, which is the like, tell me where they are. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go down to the school, to their house. I'm going to fuck them up. Mm-hmm. I don't fucking care. I'm going like, to do it right now. <laughs> oh, yep. I guess Neville is my uh, queer teen standing in this book. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be Neville is queer. Like, also a possibility. Mm-hmm. So he has a very uh, not hyper-masculine way about him, which I'm always just like, are you a tender bisexual boy? I mean, I thought, did I make this up that we agreed to imagine a future for Neville where he has a husband in a plant shop instead of... uh, Yes, you're right. Yeah. I think it's been a while since we talked about that. I think so too, but I hold it very dearly in my heart, so... (sighs) Yeah, Neville, I feel like Neville needs a boyfriend now. Neville just needs someone in his fucking corner. (laughs) Yeah, truly. Yeah, I want now that I'm thinking about it again, I'm like, I want it to be a muggle plant shop. I want him to marry a muggle and have a muggle plant shop. And like, you know, he can do magic to like make the plants like really healthy and like make plants that like, you know, even the 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 worst plant person can't kill as long as their intentions are pure, you know? Yeah. That would be so beautiful, but just to, like, get the fuck away from the majority of the witching world. I feel like talking about novels, I feel like a little bit how, is like a lot of hard talk about Simon uh-huh. <laughs> and escape from reality. <laughs> where it's like, I just want, I just want someone to be, be in your corner, Neville. Yeah, truly. What, what do you want? Do you should maybe just go live with, the, like, live with the muggles and, like, fuck all of these fucking witches. <laughs> like, fuck every one of them. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, BB. Um, I have some other education stuff. Did you have anything else in this section? Uh, no. So let's talk about some education stuff. Okay. So the rest of it is about Neville and Harry having to like relive this trauma, or I don't know if re- it's not reliving because well, for Harry it is now because the Dementor showed him what his initial trauma was like. But you know, having to watch the curses that took their parents away from them. Which we've already said is like super fucked up, but I wanted to talk about the very accurate representations of what living, like acutely living through a trigger looks like that we get in this chapter. We get it sort of internally from Harry. Uh, He like fully dissociates when he watches the spiders get Avada Kedavra and we get the line, um... He like comes back into himself as it and it's like Moody is speaking from a great distance, which is fully accurate. And then after class, we see Neville still fully dissociated. He's standing alone, just staring at a blank wall. And when our trio goes to talk to him, he's like trying so hard to perform okayness and just failing. 
Which, what a mood, Jesus right? Christ. I'm, I'm like, like oh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I identify with that. Yeah. So much. Yeah. And then we see Harry's internal response to hearing everyone around them being like, wow, it was like such a great lesson. Like, that was so cool. Did you see the thing? And Harry's like, what the actual fuck? Just like so upset. And I think it was on our episode with Kieran and Eugenia. I think Kieran was like, the, this, these books like really accurately display what trauma looks like. And up until this point, we've had some issues with the way that Harry is portrayed as like a traumatized child because like his abuse isn't really displayed as being as traumatic as it should be. But I think this is the moment where that starts being true. Yeah. Because this is super real. Yeah. And I think maybe, I wonder if maybe part of it is sort of, because like this is, this is the shit gets real book. Mm-hmm. And then like the rest of the tone of the series is significantly darker than the first three books. Yeah. And so I wonder if part of like that is also getting, being able to go deeper with Harry's trauma because it just looks and feels like, you know, it's, it's it, it, it like it gets it gets kind of deeper into trauma where he's like he's like angry, he's disassociating, he's like withdrawal, like he goes through all of these kind of like you see throughout the rest of these books him go through us, you know, the variety of ways of like responding to the just mountains of trauma he's about to experience and has experienced and like all that shit compounded in him just like yeah, I totally agree with you. And this is why I'm always angry when everyone's like in the fifth book. It's like, oh, Harry's just so angry and like whiny. I'm like, he's had so much trauma happen to him. And then he's the only like parental figure in his fucking life that he spent like two hours with total is fucking dead. And y'all are just like, why is he so yeah? Yes, he should be screaming at everyone for way longer than he does in book five. For honestly. Real. The way that even just like at the very beginning of the book, the way that everyone has treated him that summer, like he watched cedric die and then just gets fucking sent home and ignored and no one will answer his questions he should like i don't want him to forgive anyone ron and hermione are like we're not allowed I'm like no you are his friend do a better job you make you can make your own choices no one is monitoring your fucking mail send harry potter a letter tell him what's going on dude show up at his house like <laughs> anything for real yeah, the hard agree. Yeah. Welcome to Advertisements, where we ask for your help, and then I don't give you an ad because I tried to write one, but I was not successful. All right, here we go. Are you interested in accessing some of our Patreon-only content, like our recent ADHD advice episode, episodes of our Buffy podcast, We Are the Gayers, or amazing fanfic that Jesse writes, but financially that just isn't possible? Are you also good at both listening to our podcast and typing? Then you should head to hashtag ruthless.com slash transcriptions, where you can get info on how to trade your proofreading skills for Patreon content. We have all of the old episodes of our show auto-transcribed, and we need your help to clean them up. So that's hashtag ruthless.com slash transcriptions. Welcome to editorials where we rant about stuff. Oh my God. I kind of forgot we hadn't done editorials. This is a real (laughs) ranty episode. (laughs) We just ranted for so long in politics. And education. This is a heavy fucking chapter. Yeah. I feel like my first thing we've already kind of covered, but just leave my sensitive plant dad novel alone. <laughs> leave l- leave him be. Everyone please. leave Neville alone. Um, can we talk about how just utterly uninterested Harry and Ron have been in why Hermione is spending so much time in the library? It is very frustrating to me. She's their best friend. I think it's Thursday. They start on a Monday. She's been in the library like every second that she's not in class or eating. And they're just like, whatever. She's like, been in the, and Harry's like, library. Eye roll. What the fuck ever, Hermione. Who even cares? Ron, this is why Hermione didn't ask you to the fucking Yule Ball, dumbass. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, you're correct. They're just like, eh, whatever. And I'm like, 
Don't you want to know what she's... Are you not interested in Hermione's other interests besides helping your asses with fucking homework? Oh, I guess not. not. I hate it. (sighs) I also hate it. I'm extremely and unreasonably frustrated that all three of these spiders are in the same jar, and yet we are led to believe that Moody is catching a different spider each of the three times that he catches a spider, because that's extremely unlikely. Yeah. You should have three jars, each with one spider in it. I feel like if I knew how to use TikTok, this would be an incredibly good TikTok video. (laughs) Or it's like the three spiders. It was just like, how come you guys are being fucking tortured? And then just like, I don't know, man. We're just chill at the bottom of this jar. (laughs) Uh, It's such a silly thing to be annoyed by. But I was like, that's... What do you mean he caught the third spider? How do you know? Yeah. (laughs) They're wearing like little badges. (laughs) (laughs) He's painted numbers conveniently on the back of the spider. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All right. Uh, Yes. What do you have next? Um, My last auditorial is just, let's talk about Hermione making these buttons Mm -hmm. or badges as they're called here, but they're buttons. And I'm like, Okay. So they don't have plastic in the witching world. What are these buttons made out of? Is she just like crafting them in the library? Is there like a craft closet somewhere where she's getting these materials? I just have so many questions about her money's about where she got these buttons. Like This is such a good Is she just transfiguring the buttons out of like I don't know, like like actual loose buttons that you would have like on your cloak or whatever? What a great question. This is such a good question. As a former punk who spent a lot of time using a button maker, it was very easy for me to just imagine Hermione using a button maker, but no, she doesn't have a fucking button maker. (laughs) And I have to say this because I've actually always had a hard time envisioning what these buttons look like. Because I guess part of me is like imagining like an enamel pin button. Or maybe whenever they make the like I support Cedric Diggory buttons, I'm like, like, because like, what, what am I supposed to be imagining here besides like a giant enamel pin? Or you're right, like a plastic fronted metal back. That's like, definitely button. that one. Not an enamel pin. Definitely the like the kind that you can make in a in a Denny's with a magazine right. cut out. <laughs> and a button maker. Yeah. Which are a lot of fun. I do love a button I maker. I have a button maker, like, w- within a 10-second reach of me right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just, I just have so many questions about this. And I'm just, like, also want to imagine Hermione, like, at, a, at her favorite table in the library. Maybe it's, like, by a window. And she is just, like, I'm going to make these fucking buttons. Uh-huh. You know what? God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> let's okay no room of requirement that's what i want the answer to be okay she room went into the room of requirement there was a button maker waiting for her she knows how to work a button maker she's a muggle or at least she can figure it out yeah she's seen a button if you've seen a button i think you can kind of i think it helps in like i know how a button looks yeah and the button maker is just like a stamp so yeah yeah and there were like markers, like a big fat box of Crayola markers, brand new. None of them were worn out. Mm-hmm. Just some paper. She just made she just made buttons, and she was like, "Thank God, I'm a Muggleborn because any witch, <laughs> like witchborn, you know, whatever pure blood that came in here would be like, oh no, I've never seen a marker before. <laughs> what do I dip it in? Are these to transfigure into the buttons? I'm just like." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm just man. glad Hermione at least got to have some like craft time, some like meditative craft time. It's also <laughs> going to come really in handy in her like, you know, political future when she's an angry vegan in a couple of years. Oh my God. She made so many buttons running for her. I mean, I know we're ignoring anything, not the books, but like, let's be real about her. We all knew Hermione was going to be the fucking minister of magic at some point. I she didn't. Definitely I think helped. Hermione's a magical historian. That is a good point, actually. She'll be a very good magical historian. I just feel like all three of these kids, like, they don't want anything to do with politics after they win this goddamn war. 
Like Hermione's gonna write a like true and like not highly selective history of Hogwarts that's gonna blow Bethilda Bagshots out of the water. I'm fine with Ron helping run his brother's joke shop. That makes sense for him. Harry's gonna teach Defense Against the Dark Arts at Hogwarts. They're all just gonna be like, oh my god, I'm so glad that my life is calm now. I don't know. I feel like out of all of them, I I could still see Hermione being like, oh no, I'm about to fix this shit myself. Like, this fucking corrupt-ass government. <laughs> Maybe, but not as the minister, I don't think. Maybe as, like, a lawyer, but I don't think as the minister. I just don't see Hermione, like, I just don't feel like being in the top office is, like, allows you to affect, like, the level of change that she wants. But I feel like I could see her going into whatever department takes care of non-magical beings and being like oh we're rewriting all of all of, all of these oh, hell fucking, yes. all that fucking shit i can like, see we're that. doing all that and i think i don't know it's because we don't really see it really it's kind of like i don't really quite understand how where you got where people are picking ministers from but it seems to be from internally within the ministry so it's sort of like i mean i don't know well Who if the it's fuck the else only employer <laughs> in this entire world where else are they gonna come from yeah just like out of nowhere florian fortescue is running for minister of magic listen you know he was he was helping harry with his homework that one time i'd vote for you know? him sure i would also vote for him would that involve free ice cream who knows <laughs> <laughs> he could have the political rallies at his ice cream shop yeah anyway seems like a nice guy <laughs> <laughs> which is i think honestly better than most of the ministry employees we meet in these series I, yep like are are you a nice human being <laughs> do you have any level of empathy okay great yep <laughs> yep <sighs> uh, yeah all right uh you know what i'm gonna skip some stuff and just end this with a his comma harry comma rant all right. If Sirius got caught, it would be his, comma, Harry's, comma, fault. I would like to propose for your consideration. If Sirius got caught, it would be Harry's own fault. Feelings? Yeah. No, that sounds great. It's a great sentence. Even though, again, I do not think it's Harry's fault, but, you know. Correct. Harry's, Harry's fault. <laughs> yes. But yes, as a sentence, yes. It does the exact same job, but better. <laughs> right. Choose one. Welcome to the health and science section, where we talk about magic and science and magical science. All right, so we get a very thorough description of what the unforgivable curses are, which is great. And I've always been curious about the Cruciatus curse, Mm -hmm. because we know that it is causing some terrible pain, physical pain, without like blood or whatever is happening and uh we know from next book that it is also or actually from this book that it's also possible to be to have the cursiatus curse cast on you for so long where you like lose your mental facilities Mm -hmm. which is like what the fuck is going on here and so i have i am proposing here and to you lark that I think that the Cruciatus curse is essentially like a magical neurotoxin. Hmm. So just because like, I think just the way that it's described and Harry gets Cruciatus at some point, right? Yeah, I think Bellatrix does. And I feel like the description we get of it and sort of the end effects seems to be something, some kind of nerve damage related. And um, according to Wikipedia, I mean, uh, just because it's sort of just because of sort of how not like delicate, but there's a bunch of things about your nervous system that sort of makes it kind of easy to like not like easy to disrupt. But once you get disrupted, it fucks you up. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of neurotoxin exposures, like say to lead causes like memory issues, brain issues, physical impairments like. I mean, not that having lead poison 
hurts you. It doesn't hurt you. But I mean, there are plenty of neurotoxins that are like vent they're like venomous animals that I mean it does cause pain. Right. So I think that in my slightly scientific opinion that this has gotta be yeah, like just some sort of like this curse just taps into your nervous system and just fucks it all the way up. Mm-hmm. So I think that makes sense. So yeah. And I think that I guess sort of like we asked before like what makes the cruciatus curse or the killing curse better than a spell that i don't know makes your skin peel off or whatever like how is that not unforgivable but i think he mentions like moody mentions here that there's obviously no counter curses or a way to block the killing curse so i wonder if the same is true for imperio and cruciatus where there's just like not a way for you to even defend yourself against those Mm. curses and that's what makes it unforgivable is that you know, they're like the AKs of, you know, magical spells. Like you mm-hmm. can't, I mean, be pointing an AK at someone, there's there's very little that's going to save you from that. And I think maybe the unforgivable curses must be like that. Yeah, I think I think, I think think that makes sense. I don't know enough about uh, neuroscience. I'm not a neuroscientist to say exactly what's going on with the, with the Imperial curse. But we can talk about that once we get to the point where Harry is fighting it off. Mm-hmm. So... Because we get the actual description of what that is like. Yeah. All right. Um, So my only thing in this section this week is uh, that Neville melts his sixth cauldron. I assume sixth ever, not sixth this year because they are just having their first class. So a very long time ago in one of our first episodes, I like went on a rant about the melting point of pewter and how they're using pewter cauldrons. And I think that's ridiculous. Uh, someone on Twitter was like, hey, uh, thermodynamics, like the pewter is never going to get warmer than the water inside of it or something. And so it wouldn't melt, basically. Okay, cool. Neville, like us, has ADHD. I burn my food that I'm trying to make myself for lunch three times a week. Like... I start making it and then I forget that I'm making it and I start working and I'm like, what is that smell? And then I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm cooking something. So I like would just like to say that as part of Neville's accommodations that I think he deserves, they should be not using pewter cauldrons, you know, like he should have an iron cauldron and that yeah. should be fine. He should he should have he should have like an enamel lined cast iron cauldron that shit should be like a la cuisette dutch oven yeah there i'm sure you could ruin one it's pretty hard to do that yeah and like not a lot's gonna react to an enamel lining even your precious potions exactly yes so regardless of thermodynamics i think it's unreasonable that neville longbottom has been given replacement cauldrons that are all still made of pewter like no yeah, this is why this is part of the reason why I can't have like Teflon coated stuff because I forget to not use a metal thing on it or I'm like, I'll put it in the oven at 450. This is good for 400. I'm like, eh. like I need something where if I burn it or, or forget about it, it's not going to tr- kill me mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever. Yep. So, yeah. Also, sorry, I'm just now imagining the like Bobaton kids with like luck was at college. <laughs> They're like different colors. They have like the cute little like lids oh, on it. They and they're do. just like, what are you guys using at Hogwarts? Pewter. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> yep. All right. Uh, what else do you have? Uh, I just have one more thing, I guess. A little, because we, we learn uh, new information about the killing curse. Which is that you need to have a lot of power behind it. And Moody is like, you guys could all try to kill me and I wouldn't, I maybe wouldn't even get a nosebleed. And I'm like, which is, I think I find very interesting. So it's like, okay, so your average 15 year old couldn't like kill someone with it. I mean, Voldemort did, but. So Bellatrix tells us at the fight in the ministry that you have to mean it. Like Harry tries to cast Crucio on her and she's like, pshh. You have to mean it. And I think power maybe isn't the right word. I think maybe it's intent. Like, even if you're so angry at someone and you're like, 
Vada Kedavra, like, I don't think it's like pulling a trigger on a gun where you can be like, in a split second, you pull that trigger. And then the split second later, you're like, I legitimately do not want that person to die. I think this spell, you have to want that person to die with every fiber of your being. Otherwise, it's going to give them a nosebleed and nothing else. Yeah. It might be a combination of both, too. Yeah. Because I guess it's just, it's just hard to know because everyone we see using the killing curse means it. And the effect of someone is dead, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting, it's interesting that we get here that it's like, you can't just point your wand into the words and someone's going to die. It's like more than that. Right. You know? All right. It's a very heavy place to end our episode. Uh, yeah, I don't have anything that's not heavy <laughs> that I skipped over. So. <sighs> All right. Well, on that note, thank you for listening to this episode of the Gaily Prophet. Uh, this podcast and our other podcast, Escape from Reality, where we talk about the Simon Snow series by Rainbow Rowell, are creations of hashtag Ruthless Productions and are produced, mixed, and edited by me. Uh, if you want to support us, you should leave us a rating on on iTunes. You should tell all your friends about this here awesome podcast for them to listen to while they continue to work from home, hopefully. Um, you can follow us on social media. We're at the Gaily Prophet on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can also go to our website at hashtag ruthless.com where you can uh, buy our merch, donate money to us, join our Patreon from there. Uh, all kinds of cool stuff. Heck yeah. Uh, if you want to find me on the internet, I'm at Lark Malachi on Instagram and my website is larkmalachi.com, which is where you can get a tarot reading from me if you want to. Uh, and I am on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit and on Instagram at Life in Detroit, where I'm often posting adorable kitten content. <laughs> so much good kitten content lately. I, it's really great. Uh, the music in our theme song is by Kevin McLeod. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester. And until next time. Balderdash. Trigger warning. Calculation. People for the ethical treatment of animals. <laughs> <laughs>